Street Level America, I'm Dave Adams, and one of the things that we like to do at Street Level America is go out into the streets of America and find out what's going on. Well, we're going to go by way of telephone today to a man by the name of Trevor Loudon, who is from New Zealand, and I'm going to enjoy this interview this morning because I lived in New Zealand for about, oh, nine months or so, and it's, uh, it's been a while since I've talked to a Kiwi. So, Trevor, uh, welcome to Street Level America. Hi, thanks for having me on, Dave. It's a pleasure. Now, as I look at the books you've written, and they're very timely, talking about uh, the fact that we, that there's a problem with Marxism and communism infiltrating the very highest reaches of our government and our church. So we're going to talk about that in detail today. How long have you been writing these books, and when did you first notice that there was a problem with this, this, um, Trojan horse attack of communism in infecting uh, democracy. Well, look, look. I, as you say, I'm from New Zealand, but I live in the United States now. But back in the 1980s in New Zealand, um, we uh, elected a socialist Labour government, and one of the first things they did was to ban U.S. warships from our ports. I remember that. And it, yeah, and and look, I, I, this is a country that was saved during World War Two. By, by America, you know, at the battles of Guadalcanal and the Coral Sea and Midway. So I was pretty disgusted by this. And uh, in the course of my battling that, because um, I, I wanted to stay part of the American alliance, I met a New Zealander who had infiltrated the New Zealand Communist Party for our security services. And he trained in Moscow at Lenin's Institute for Higher Learning. The, the, famous Lenin school with three and a half thousand other students from all over the world and what he taught me was this basically they planned New Zealand's legislation from Moscow um, the, the idea is very simple and this is how communism really works the communists the the, the Russians or the Chinese and they're still doing this would come up with a policy and in America it might be Obamacare or open borders, or fracking bans, or uh, you know, forced vaccinations, any one of any number of things. And so the, the communists come up with the plan, they train American communists, or Canadian communists, or British communists, or New Zealand communists in the plan they want. They take it back to their native country they make it labor union policy because almost all of the labor unions are now communist controlled and the labor uh, the, the labor movement the unions make it democrat policy or canadian liberal policy or british labor party policy you know if we look at things like obamacare the nuclear deal with iran open borders policy the indoctrination of kids in schools all of this is communist policy enacted through the Democratic Party, which comes through the unions, through the American communists, and then to our from our enemies overseas. That's how it works, and that is a process I've been studying since uh, since the early 80s. At first so, blush, one would say, why would people be attracted to communism other than, than the American democracy? What is it that attracts them to this? subversive ideology well there's one of a number of causes you know a lot of its ego um, 
you know, and, and why did Satan leave heaven? You know, this is the famous poem by Milton, because he'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. You know, there's so much power and ego that is fed by the communist movement. Some of them genuinely think it's a, it's a fair movement and it's going to redistribute wealth and end racism and this kind of thing. That's the young idealists. And you've got to understand, we've got a whole generation of American kids now have been taught by the Marxists in their education system that America is a horrible racist country that got rich by ripping off the third world. And, and they're ripe for recruitment because, you know, they don't understand America's history, the, the, um, how much good America's done in the world. They don't understand the founding fathers. They, all they see is a bunch of white slave owners who who are horrible people. They don't see the freedom and liberty of this country. So that's why we're having a big resurgence of communism now, because the communists who supported the Viet Cong in the 1960s and 1970s in the Vietnam War era, they all went into the colleges and the unions and the business and the uh, Democratic Party, etc. And in the colleges and the teachers' colleges, they've been indoctrinating a whole new generation of youth and that's really coming to the fore now so we're seeing a new birth of the communist movement like we saw in the 60s and the 40s and the 30s and the 1920s it's all coming back around and so i say basically <clears throat> we're, we're in this country we're being ruled by the 60s and 70s generation you know, there's the people who supported the Viet Cong and Fidel Castro and and the Sandinistas are now running the unions, the Democratic Party, a lot of businesses, and most universities, and a lot of the media, and they want their revolution before they die. This is their life's mission, and we're seeing the impacts of it now in America. What do American Christians and Americans who just uh, who grew up <clears throat> like I've, I'm I'm sixty what am I sixty four years old now I have to stop and think for a moment. Um, oh baby, <laughs> yeah, I remember Fourth of July we would go to Main Street in Idaho. Payette, Idaho was the small town, and the floats would go by honoring our troops, and everybody would stand. I remember Fourth of July fireworks. Uh, where everybody would sing the national anthem, and there was just this feeling of national pride. I remember 9/12. I've been asked a lot of by a lot of people, why can't we go back to 9/12? Remember 9/12? You could the day after 9/11, you could not look anywhere without seeing an American flag. American yeah. pride was at its apex or high point. We've lost so much. What would you say? to Americans who want to go back to what they would call the good old days. Why can't we go back to um, American representative democracy? Well, because we have been so infiltrated for the last 40, 50 years, really since the 60s, by Marxist radicals who have gone into the system, who now control most of the levers of power, who control the Democratic Party and have even influence in the Republican Party, um, that, that, that these people must be defeated and removed from power because we can't go back because they've indoctrinated so many of our kids that until this infiltration is overturned and removed, 
we're fighting a losing battle. You know, we have to regain control of education. We have to abolish the Department of Education, return education to local level. Because there's still millions of patriots in America, but they don't control the education system. The left controls the education system until we address that problem. We're never going to get on top of this. Let's they're, talk they're about turning our own kids against us. Let's talk about that. How do we turn the levers of power back? What do we do to make a difference? We all understand that there is a major problem. Uh, I've got my thoughts. I'll share those in a moment. But what do you think we should do to fix the problem? Well, there's multiple fronts. You know, look. Um, <sighs> We have to understand that we're in a revolutionary situation and the left is hell-bent on destroying America. This is not, and this, this goes right to the leadership of the country now. You know, bringing 10 million illegal immigrants in the country is not stupidity. That's a deliberate plan to destroy this country. You know, the gutting of the military is not stupidity. That's a deliberate plan, plan to weaken this country. So we have to confront reality. That's the very first step. We're in a revolution. We've got a few, most of the Republican Party is either out to lunch or cowardly. We've got a few champions, just a few, and we need to acknowledge where we are and start taking power back locally through school boards and um, you know the county commissions, state legislatures. And, and, and as was happening over Texas, you know, Texas has joined with about 20 other states to defy the federal government over, over illegal immigration. Correct. That's where we have to start and we have to make sure we win the next election. Because if we don't win the next election, the Democrats are going to legalize 20, 30, 40 million illegals who will then vote 70, 80, 90% Democrat, and we will have a one-party state. We will never be able to overturn that. So we are so very we much at a cross... how urgent we are, how We're... urgent this is. Yeah, I want to understate that, or overstate that and highlight it. Um, we're at a crossroads right now. We're, we're at an extreme crossroads. And, and look, we have to get that executive power. We have to abolish the Department of Education. We have to withdraw America from major international communist organizations like the United Nations and the World Health Organization, which are completely run by China. But we pay the bills. We have to get America independent again, and then we have to start taking legal cases against the traitors that are currently selling us out. And that includes a whole bunch of congressmen and senators. And the president. A real and the president, absolutely. I, that's for granted, you know. Um, we we have to we have to have a counter revolution, and I don't mean violent at all. We have the legal means to hold these people to account, but we have to have the political will and the political leaders with the courage to do it. And we have to be very discerning about who we vote for, and all of us, all of us, must get extremely active in this election because it's the very last one we're going to have if we lose this, the last meaningful election if we lose it. I've been in media for more than 40 years, and I've seen a lot of what I would call the vocal, min vocal minority, the control, the destiny of the majority. And what needs yep. to happen, I believe, in America, and I think I'm talking to the choir here, and I think you agree with me, 
the silent majority need to no longer be silent because we are having a few vocal minority steer the course of the nation. Now, here's an example I want to use. There's only a fraction of the population of the United States that are homosexual, LGBTQ, practicing homosexuals. But they are defining uh, philosophy. They're defining society. They're redefining society. Who never thought we'd have... Uh, a problem with the definition of male and female. Did you ever think you would see a Supreme Court nominee not be able to answer the question of what is a woman? This is like Saturday Night Live comedy stuff, but it's not funny because it's real life. So what do we do to encourage the silent majority to no longer be silent? And you've you've alluded to that in just a moment. And well, you make a very good point. People look the LGBTQ movement, the trans movement. That that is a Marxist movement. That's a revolutionary movement to destroy the American family. The first, see, see, people see all these disparate things. They see the open borders. They see the LGBTQ movement just dictating policy. They see Black Lives Matter, which is a Chinese-backed communist group. Yeah, we see all of these phenomenon. We see woke sport, the woke church, the gutting of the military. What we don't understand is they are all parts of the same octopus. They're all arms of the same octopus, all directed by our enemies to weaken and destroy us, distract us. So we have to understand. That's why I write my books. That's why I make my movies, to, to join those dots for people. So we have to confront the reality we're in a revolution. And and I look, this is what I see as I go around the country. And I've probably spoken to a thousand groups around this country. Everywhere I go, I see new little church groups springing up, breaking away from the big denominations. I see the Moms for Liberty types. I see millions of people who sat at home for three years during COVID, which was completely a Chinese-controlled operation, reading their kids' school textbooks um, in horror at what they're learning, watching their cities burn with no repercussions, then watching elections stolen. And now you have millions of Americans who have finally woken up to the fact that we could lose this country. And they are getting active. So it's a big movement out there already. So more people have to join and get more vocal. We had the Tea Party movement of 10 years ago, which was very powerful, had a lot of influence, but the media made a big mistake in, in publicizing it and made it grow. Well, the media, there's a, there's a bigger movement out there now of younger people that's already developing, but the media will not talk about it because they don't want to make the same mistake again. They don't want this getting big. And it's part of it's the MAGA movement. Um, all of it's tied in together. So the, the revolution's already going on, and it's take, making gains in a lot of states like Florida and Oklahoma and other places and Idaho, but you need to join. Everybody needs to get involved in this. Everybody needs to get involved in a local, um, you know, patriotic group, uh, get involved in the elections, this, this is our duty. This is our duty to save America by getting involved in, in civic action. The baby of the last real chance we have. This is, this, is, this is a time for choosing. We're on either America's side and God's side, or we're going to see our kids live in slavery. That's the point we're at right now.
I've often watched the story or heard about the story of Valley Forge, where the American Patriot yes. soldiers were faced with the, the decision, do I go back home to the farm and go to the comfortable life, or do I stick to it and I fight for this country? And I've often wondered, what would I have done in that position? Well, folks, we are in that position today. Do we do what's comfortable? Do we do what's safe? Or do we do like uh, the, the, the patriot soldiers of days gone by that formed this country, where we stick with George Washington, where we stick with the ideas of representative democracy, and do we stay the course, or do we fade back and just say, well, um, I can't make a difference, and just give up? They well, didn't give up, and look what we have. We have the United States of America. We also cannot give up. Look, look I, here's my argument there, because a lot of people do want to give up. But, like, I was in Morristown, New Jersey, and that's where your troops spent the winter of 1780. And that was the little ice age. You know, 10,000 troops went into that valley at the beginning of the winter, and death, desertion, and disease took 4,000 of them. They were the, the officers were eating their dogs to survive. The troops were boiling their boots to eat the leather. They weren't paid for months. They were starving. And George Washington's army was on the verge of defeat. And he went down to Valley Forge and he got down on his knees and he prayed. Then he took those starving troops down to Yorktown and took the British out in a massive surprise attack. Uh -huh. Just won the war. The greatest victories come from the darkest times Correct. because that's when the good people finally get off the darn fence mm -hmm. and do what they always should have been doing. And and the key point there is this. We're going to need some divine providence here. And yeah, at, the, at the Revolutionary War, they had divine providence. They had a lot of help, but they still had to fight and commit and sacrifice to earn that 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 you know earn god's help you know it's this is my this is my argument you know to get out of this mess we're going to need to tell the truth telling the truth takes courage courage comes as proof of faith and faith pleases god it is not what you do that counts it's, it's not that you have to be a great leader it's not that you have to be all this fantastic thing. We are all given gifts. And every single one of us is made in the image of God. It is not what you do, it's what you do with what you have. It is better to have modest talents and use them 100% to save your country than to have great talents and use them 50%. What do you think pleases God more? So every single one of us Everything that we do is 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 going to decide the fate of this country, from the humblest to the highest. It's what we do, because there has to be a spiritual foundation to this battle. Now, let's talk about the books you've written. You've written quite a few books. I will talk about the church book here in a minute, but I'm looking at the title of one, um, House Un-Americans. Un There's uh, yeah. actually six different volumes, is that right? Well, there's three. Two have been published. Three is about to go forward, and the other three will be published this year. So that's a series exposing about 100 U.S. congressmen for their ties to China, um, Iran, the communist movement, 
the, the radical Islamic movement, etc. So these are the people in our Congress now who are working against us every single day. How do we get those books? How do people buy those? Well, you can go to Amazon and you can make Jeff Bezos a little bit richer. You know, you go there. They're all available on Amazon. But if you want signed copies, personally autographed copies, you go to my website, trevorloudon.com. And the Loudon is L-O-U-D-O-N, trevorloudon.com. And there's a, a, at the top of the page, there's a shop and it's got... Um, about eight of my books and DVDs that you can order through the shop and you just write what message you wanted them or I can make up a message. You can order those things and, and I will post them to you. Very, well, my staff will post them to you very quickly. Now, I want to make sure that people get the website, so we're going to spell the whole name out. It's Trevor, T-R-E-V-O-R. L-O-U-D-O-N.com, TrevorLoudon.com. I'm on the site now, and you can see these books. We talked briefly about the faith aspect. Now, there's a book that you've written that really caught my attention. Well, it's a, no, it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, it's a movie. The Enemies Within the Church is a, is a movie. Talk to me about that. Doc, a documentary. Yeah, well, we, we put it out a couple of years ago. It's It's gone like wildfire around the country. A lot of, we have a huge amount of reaction to it. But it's but what the, the thesis of it is this, you know, the church, the reason America is in so much trouble now, is because the church has abandoned the leadership role that it's supposed to have. You know, we're we're supposed to have three things to govern us. We're supposed to have civil government, um, the family, and the church, and the church should play the leading role. If the church is leading and powerful and strong, the families will be good and the civil government will stay within its boundaries. But because the church has abandoned that leadership role, the families are falling into chaos, and the civil government is getting way, way out of control. And so there's two reasons for that. One is the mistaken idea that many Christians have is that they shouldn't be involved in politics, which is it's a duty for, for Christians to be involved in the civic governance of their own nation. It's a sin if you're not. No, that's the, the big misunderstanding. And the other is the massive Marxist infiltration of the churches. Um, the Let, let's take a moment. Movement, let's take a moment right now and quote scripture backing that up because there are a lot of people that say, quote scripture to me before I believe you. So as far as. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. James 4.17, for he who knows the right thing to do, but does not do it, for him it is a sin. So, I'll clarify that, you know, is every Christian knows they have responsibility to their own family. He who will not defend his own family is worse than an infidel, okay? Right. He, you know, you have responsibility to your family. You have a responsibility to your church. You have a responsibility to your friends and community. So why do you not have responsibility to your country? Why are you supposed to allow the bad guys to take control of your country, which is going to hurt your church, which is going to hurt your family, which is going to hurt everything you hold dear? So this idea that Christians should not be involved in politics has been spread by the left and by certain wrong um, misinterpretations of the Bible, which the left has encouraged 
because they don't want Christians involved. And so, um, yeah, we're at a time. Look, look, here's an here's an example. Before World War Two, there was one group in Germany that could have stopped Hitler, and that was the German Church. They were big enough, and they had enough influence to say no to Hitler. They could have taken him out of power, but they didn't. They put swastikas in their churches, and they became good Nazi Christians. And we got a war that killed tens of millions of people. And who had to sort the mess out? It was American and Aussie and Canadian and New Zealand's Christians, Christian boys who left their farms, who picked up their guns, put on uniforms, and charged Nazi machine guns on the beaches of Normandy and went across the Pacific fighting malaria and the Japanese in horrible battles to fix the mess left to us by the German Christians who didn't want to get involved. They got involved. You know, who, who would you rather be on Judgment Day? Would you rather be that German Christian who didn't try and stop Hitler, just tried to keep his head down, was a good man, prayed every day, went to church every Sunday, but did nothing to stop evil? Or would you rather be the 19-year-old boy from, from Kentucky who died face down in a pool of blood on Omaha Beach? But who do you think honored God more? The young boy, of course. Uh, you make a strong point and a strong case for uh, getting involved. Uh, I talk to a lot of pastors who are, and I'm just going to be very blunt here. I've been blunt in the past, and I'm not going to change now, especially with the, the challenge that we're facing right now. But there's a lot of pastors that are afraid to confront politics. I was just reading some posts this morning, and every time I do, I, my heart kind of breaks because we are no longer talking about politics as about an issue of whether we pave Main Street or First Street uh, as taxes. We're talking about crossing the Rubicon here. We're talking about the, the state telling us and redefining for us basic moral values like men can compete in women's sports, that your kids can come home and say, I want to be Jane today and not John, and that you have to help pay for that. Now, we've crossed yeah. the Rubicon here, and we're no longer talking about taxes and, and politics, and I think a, a lot of Christians need to realize that we are facing the confrontation uh, and conflict over basic theological definitions in faith, and we as a church have to stand up. Well, 100%, you know, what we're facing now is at least as serious as what the German Christians faced. You know, at least they didn't try and redefine men and women. You know, <laughs> you know but, but we, we are facing a, a crisis now. You, you think the, these, the people in power now will be persecuting the churches like crazy if they get power again, if there is no opposition. So, you know, you see evil all around you. You see indoctrination of kids. You see... You know, Marxism running rampant, rioting in your streets. You see the infiltration of the southern border. You see um, the world situation turning to chaos because America is now perceived as weak. And you see that evil, and you think you have zero responsibility for confronting that evil. How can any Christian say that? How can any Christian say we have no responsibility for confronting the evil politics in our own nation. You know, what, what do you think God's going to say to that? 
you know, that, that you just let this slide. You just let your whole communities be tortured and, and um, you, you know, your kids being indoctrinated and you did nothing about it. Look, look uh, it's beyond the pale, you know. Look, if a, if a, put it this way, say if a pastor, if a pastor was walking down a river and there's a little girl drowning in the river, and he's not a very confident swimmer, so he just walks on. Now, is that a sin? Yes. You know, will he be held to account for that? He'll okay. Be- if a part, if a pastor, if your town is being flooded, and everybody's down at the at the in the you know manning the pumps and evacuating the kids and the elderly and trying to save the town, but your pastor sits at home all day and prays, is, is that a sin? Yes, it is a sin of inaction, it a is. sin of omission. Let it's me share a sin of omission. It's for he who knows the right thing to do but does not do it for him. It is a sin. So if your pastor tells you your country that is the first country to ever say that man's rights come from God, not from not from the government, that has done more to end tyranny than any other, that has spread done more to spread the gospel than any other that has built more churches and hospitals and schools around the world than any other. When that country is threatened with destruction and you say, I have no responsibility for this whatsoever, my people shouldn't be involved in fighting back, if you say that, is that a sin? Yes. Let me share with you an example. Let me share you with a a couple of... 100% is sin. And what are the wages of sin? Death. Let me share with you an example of a pastor that we work with, Pastor Maisel Duncan, who has the Patriot Pastor Show that we air here on Street Level America, or rebroad, Restream on Street Level America. He said to me that, and he's on the air every day at the local radio station, talking about American values and how they coincide with Christian values. And as we look at the pressure and push and a lawfare being used against conservatives and eventually probably the church, He says, I'm committed, and oh well, most of the New Testament was written in prison. So if I have to broadcast Mm, from mm, prison, mm. I'll do that. Yeah. And he's he's the exception and not the rule, and that's sad to say. Well, it is, you know, because, um, you know, this is, okay, there's a little section, and this is, you talk about cowardice. There's a little section in the end of the book of Revelations, and I'm not enough scholar to give you the exact uh, thing, but it gives a list of people who go to hell, and it's the coward, it's, it's the murderers, idolaters, the liars, but the first group are the cowards and the faithless. So why, cow, why is cowardice the greatest sin? Because cowardice tells God you have no faith. If you're a coward... You don't believe in anything beyond yourself. You might say you do, but you won't put it to the test. If you really, if you're a pastor and you really believe what you say you believe, you're not going to be scared of the culture. You're not going to be scared of the city council that wants to shut your church down or the IRS coming after you. You're not going to be scared of any of that because you got your eye on a much bigger picture. You, you tell me how you tell if you have a faithful pastor, he will be a brave and courageous pastor. If your pastor lacks courage, what does that tell you about his faith? 
it, it tells you he has no faith. Without faith, it's no impossible real to please faith, God. No. Because if you really believe what you believe and you see evil going on all around you, you're going to be, it's your responsibility. Love God and thy neighbor as thyself. How can you say you love your neighbor when you let your neighbor's kids being brainwashed in schools? When you let your neighbor's kids being forced into a war because this country's been made so weak? How can you love your neighbor when you let them be impoverished by socialism? How can you say you're really, really what you say you are when, when you allow these things to happen and are too cowardly to do something about it? You can say a lot and God will say a lot. Here's what we do here. First of all, we have two companies here. We have a nonprofit and a for-profit. The nonprofit was started first. But as things really started to turn bad in America, we started USA Heartbeat, a 501c3, where we began non-political. But as I saw things really take a turn for the worst, in my view, we started a for-profit, street-level America. So we could, uh, and so what I would recommend to churches is start a for-profit and just have it there in the side and say to your congregation, you know, we are a non-profit. But we will not compromise on the Word of God. And if we lose our 501c3, so be it. We'll switch over in a heartbeat, uh, pun intended here, to, um, (laughs) pun intended, uh, we'll go to the the for-profit. But we will not compromise the Word of God, and we'll just, we won't miss a beat. Yeah, look, look, that's exactly what people should be doing. You know, President Johnson, when he was Senator Johnson, his goal was to emasculate the churches. When he passed the Johnson Amendment, which told churches they could not endorse candidates from the pulpit or they'd lose their non-profit status, that was designed to emasculate the churches. And every cowardly pastor in the country who didn't want to get involved said, hallelujah, that gives me the out, that gives me the excuse. Well. You know, you might fool your, you might fool your people, you might even fool yourself, but you're not going to fool your Creator. You know, he, he knows why you did that. He knows why you will not stand. It is not because of any great virtue or that you're too pure or that you're just too godly to be involved in, you know, what goes on around you. It's that you're a coward, that you don't really believe what you say you believe. You know, you're not going to fool the Creator. Why do these people think they do, but think they can? Yeah, so pastors, wake up, stand up, and stand up for the Word of God, and stand up for your people. Uh, Because if not, there's going to be a knock at the door. We use this example a lot. There's going to be a knock at the door, and they're going to come, and you're going to say yes, and they're going to say, okay, first of all, we need to know if you have any guns. We're going to take those because it's a health risk. Number two, we're going to talk to your children and make sure that they're comfortable in their gender, and if they want to change gender, you're going to help pay for that. If not, we'll take your kids. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. I have rights. This is America. I have the Constitution. And they're going to say, well, the Constitution is a living document, and this is a new uh, interpretation of that document. Here are the oracles of the new America. And you're going to say, well, when did this happen? It happened by degrees. The, co- the frog was cooked slowly, and so will America. Stand up and get involved. Yeah, th- this is getting close to the to the final thing. This this is a hundred years of Marxist infiltration is now coming to a climax, and it can be beaten back. That's the thing. You know, there's more than enough Christians. There's more than enough. Most Christians don't even vote in this country. 
You know, the biggest block of non-voters in this country is evangelical Christians who have the most to lose and have the principles that should be guiding them. You know, look, where does it ever say in the Bible anywhere that man has no civic responsibilities? Where, where does it ever say that? The Christians, you know, it's it, the Old Testament is full of examples of civil governments and the value of it and the necessity of it. And you know what happened to the Israelites when they didn't bother to put a wall around their around their cities? You know, there's, there's, there's a whole body there of about civil governments. You know, representative government, as you talk about representative democracy, came from Moses. Moses was leading his people through the desert, and everybody was coming complaining to him. And it was driving him nuts. So he said, go amongst yourself and choose representatives. That was the birth of representative government. So, you know, you talk about Christian culture and American culture. American culture comes from Christianity. American political culture comes from Christianity. And when Christianity is sound, the culture will be healthy. But when Christianity becomes cowardly, the, the culture runs to chaos and and the culture influences the politics so the politics get, gets chaotic you know Andrew Breitbart used to say um, you know politics is downstream from culture the culture influences the politics but he could have added which was even better you know the culture is downstream from faith from religion if your faith is good your culture will be sound your politics will be okay when your when your faith is sick, when it's been infiltrated by Marxism and Pietism, your your culture will will sicken and your politics will go crazy. And where are we now? We're crazy. So uh, the website is trevorloudon.com. T R E V O R Loudon L O U D O N dot com. My recommendation to pastors is just pray. Start praying, start reading the Word of God, and pray for courage to stand up. Like uh, the, the Christian church in Nazi Germany, they should have stood up. They didn't, and tens of millions of people paid the price, and we almost lost the planet to communism. So take a yeah. stand. Uh, we've, we've written, I've just released a book myself called So You Really Want Revival? How much do you want it? And it talks about being faithful to God and being like the first generation church. The first generation church changed the world. Do you want to move in the power and presence of God? Go back to the beginning. Go back to the first generation church. And, um, you know, three and 5,000 people a day were added to their number because they moved in the power of God. It takes faith to please God. So, Move. Exactly, and courage is proof of faith. You know, though you think of how courageous those early Christians were. They were risking their lives every single day for their faith, every day. And and you, you, that's been the pattern right throughout history. Why do American Christians think they can be fat and happy and lazy mm -hmm. and never, never be, never be tested? Um, even though the, the evidence is all around us that their lack of lack of commitment is leading to chaos. Do, do you think they're going to be judged kindly for this? 
No, so Christians stand up and uh, take a stand. We're going to be talking to Trevor Loudon again about this because this is an issue that isn't going to go away. Um, and, and you as Christians need to take a stand. Uh, do you have a way for people to contact you if you would uh, like like them to do that? Yeah, look, we'll go to my blog, but also have, you know, Facebook, Trevor Loudon, you know, uh, just go to my Facebook page. I, I speak around the country and that sort of thing. But I, I think the very, if, if the people do one thing out of this, they need need to go to the page and get enemies within the church. That'll explain to you why the churches are going woke, which is Marxist, and why they are standing down in this critical time. We need to understand how you need, how you can determine whether your pastor is really worth following or not, or whether he needs to be replaced, or or a new church has to be sought. That enemies within the church is critical to see for every American Christian. But every voter should should check out House Un-Americans and security risk senators and White House Reds, which gives you Biden's communist background and Pete Buttigieg's communist background and all these people who are now running the running the country. They're all virtually all all of Biden's cabinet are Marxists to some degree or another, which is why we're having what we're having. So yeah, travelalden.com, but people can contact me anytime. But I, I think it's the first thing you talked about prayer, you know. Prayer is is the first step. But prayer is not a substitute for action. It's a guide to action. You know, it is how you seek wisdom and how you seek courage to do what you need to do. It's not a substitute for that. Yes, correct. And and a lot of people say, well, I'll just pray and wait for God to do something. I'm going to give you another example, and I think I've shared this with Trevor before. I was delivering, I used to have a cell phone company in Oregon, and at 2 o'clock in the morning I was delivering a cell phone to a trucker who was getting ready to do an overseas run. Off in the distance I saw this glowing light at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, this was an agricultural area, and I thought, well, who's burning their fields at 2 o'clock in the morning? I thought I'd go closer take a look. I went closer, and this guy's barn lean-to was on fire, fully involved. The fire was roaring. There was a truck and a tractor underneath. There was nobody around because it was 2 o'clock in the morning. So I had a choice. It's not my barn, not my tractor, not my truck. Do I just say, oh, well, it's not my stuff. It's not my, it's not my circus, not my monkeys. I'll just go home. <laughs> Too bad for him. It sucks to be him. Or do I knock on the door and say, hey, your barn's on fire. Let's do what we can to save what we can. What I did was I knocked on the door. I never will forget the, the look on the guy's face when he gave me this dirty look. And then he looked up and his eyes got as big as the door when he saw what was going on. So the question we have to ask, or what I say to America, is the barn's on fire. Are you going to drive yeah. home or are you going to knock on the door? Yeah. We have a responsibility, you, and you you made the right decision. Do you ever regret making that decision? No, to this day, I use it as an example, but you, because what if it's your barn? Yeah. What and your neighbor your just drives away. You know, look, look, all our, we've we all got kids, we've got grandchildren, you know, they are all at risk here. How can you turn your back on your own kids, you know? We, we are safe and free today because our grandfathers and grandmothers, you know, our grandfathers fought the wars and our grandmothers 
worked the farms and the factories and kept the kids in school and sacrificed everything so that we should live free. Do we not have a moral obligation to make the same sacrifices today that, so that our kids may live free? Do we, do we, are we the only generation that has that, doesn't have that obligation? No, we have that obligation, we, and it will be called upon us for uh, the sin of omission if we don't. So get involved. Yep. Yep. Trevor, it's a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed it. Again. Really enjoyed it, Dave. We'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks so much, and I really appreciate the opportunity, and, and thanks to all listeners for, for paying attention. This is Street Level America, all in for America. This is America. Now and forever. With Trevor Loudon, I'm Dave Adams.